Please stand for the reading of God's word from Psalm 125. Those who trust in the Lord are like Mount Zion, which cannot be moved but abides forever. As the mountains surround Jerusalem, so the Lord surrounds his people from this time forth and forevermore. For the scepter of wickedness shall not rest on the land allotted to the righteous, lest the righteous stretch out their hands to do wrong. Do good, O Lord, to those who are good and to those who are upright in their hearts. But those who turn aside to their crooked ways, the Lord will lead away with evildoers. Peace be upon Israel. This is the word of God for the people of God. You may be seated. Well, hello again. Still here. We are continuing in a sermon series that we've been in, if you're just joining us, called Songs of Ascent. If you look at your uh, scripture this morning, you could see right there at Psalm 125, it says, A Song of Ascent. This whole section from 120 to 134 in this psalmody are Songs of Ascent. These are something like, as commentators have said, a, a, a songbook of the people of God as they were making pilgrimages back to Jerusalem a few times of year for these festivals where they remembered who God had been for them. Whether that was Passover, Pentecost, or the Feast of Tabernacles, these were things that, that replayed for them the story of God's deliverance in their lives. They replayed for them how God has commissioned them to be his special people in the world, showing the world what grace looks like. How he has blessed them, that's what the Feast of Tabernacles was, in gathering, be encouraged that God was remembering them again. And as they would go on these pilgrimages to those festivals, they would sing these songs. These songs would prepare their hearts for that time where they were gathered together so that even the journey itself would become part of that time. They would increase their hunger for God when they got to be together with all God's people. And Eugene Peterson points out in his book, A Long Obedience in the Same Direction, about these psalms, that these psalms can be used to the same effect in our lives. They can sharpen our hunger for God on that long, slow journey of discipleship that is called the Christian life. And so my hope is that in this series that we will grow in our journey with Jesus closer to him, that we will know him, that these will become songs that we can go back to in our Christian life, that there will be themes in them that we can trace out as we face challenges and trials, as we look for something deeper than what just our day-to-day -day life might offer us. We won't close this out this week. We're going to take a break next week. I and a pastor from a sister church of ours, Seven Hills, Pastor Matt Owens, are going to switch next week, so we'll take a little break from this series. But the following week, Labor Day weekend, if you're here with us, we will close it out. Today, though, we're going to focus on the second-to-last psalm for our series, which is Psalm 125, and it's a difficult psalm in some ways because, like many psalms, it proclaims things as absolutely true that in our experience sometimes we feel like is not true, or at least not true yet. We don't feel at many times, if you're like me, like an unmoved mountain, verse 1. You feel like you are more like a buoy in the ocean, always going up and down, uncertain, moving around. We don't feel at times like we are surrounded by God. Instead, we feel alone. It makes us wonder 
is this really true? Or maybe it makes us wonder, is there something wrong with me? Is there something wrong with my faith, with how I am before the Lord? But many times what we're looking for, what we're expecting Scripture to say to us is not what God is actually saying. It's not what he's talking about. There's something else that he wants us to hear. And when we look at the contours of this psalm this morning, we're going to start to see that that something else here that God wants us to hear is how this is more than just a saying that's true in the end but difficult to stomach right now. Rather, this psalm is an illuminating truth about how we are shaped by the power that surrounds us and how we need good power to be for us shaping our lives. That's what we're going to look at in in our primary theme this morning. We're going to do that through three considerations. First, how the power around us shapes us in verses 1 through 3. Second, why that's actually good news, that power around us shapes us in verses uh, four or three through five, and then finally the permanence of God's power. So how the power around us shapes us, why that's good news for God's people, and the permanence of that good news of God's power around us. Before we get into these things, though, would you bow your heads and pray with me? Let's ask God to fill up our hearts as we open his word. God, thank you that you have spoken, that you are still speaking to us through your word, that you have not left us alone, but that you have given us words, that you've given us songs to sing as we follow in your footsteps, as you walk alongside us. But so many times, God, we don't really know what to do next. We don't know where things are going. We don't even have a sense of why we're doing what we are doing. God, I pray this morning that you would break in in some small way, that we would see more of who you are, that we would be free from our burdens in some small way, that we would let go of even just one thing that we're carrying in our hands that we feel we have to have, but you and your grace would tell us you don't have to carry that. Would you come in and lighten the load of our burdens this morning? Would you be the power in our lives? Would you be the power that speaks this morning? Would you be the power that enables these hearts to hear? Would they hear from you? Would you surround them? In your name we pray, amen. Well, if you have your Bibles, feel free to have those open. If you don't, there should be one in the pew in front of you. We'll go back through the text a little bit together this morning. We're going to start with how the power around us shapes us in these first verses. There was an understanding in ancient times that as it went for the ruler, as it went for the king or the queen, so it went for the people. If the ruler was good, the people would be prosperous. If the ruler was bad, things would be bad for the people. There would be trouble for them. That was a common understanding that as it went for the ruler, so it went for the people. There was a connection, and we sense that even today, that when we have good leaders, things are better. When we have bad leaders, things are worse. And we see that same principle on display here, this connection between the ruler, the power in a place, and the people of that place. In verse 1, it says, those who trust in the Lord are like Mount Zion. In verse 2, it says, God himself is like the mountains that surround Jerusalem. So God's people in this picture are made like him. Those who trust in him become like God. If he is like a mountain, enduring, stable, safe, strong, his people become like him. They become enduring, strong, abiding, What he is like, 
we are like in those two verses. There is a connection between the ruler and the people. His power shapes what we are like. But, verse 3, if there is a, quote, scepter of, of wickedness, of evil resting on the land, and a scepter is an ancient metaphor for rule or for power, the scepter would be a symbol of the king or the queen. So this is saying, if there is an evil or wicked power in the land, then what happens? It says, then, lest, if there is this evil power, people would be led astray to do evil themselves. They are influenced by the character of their leader, of the power in that place. The Old Testament is full of this. When there is a good king over Israel, things are good and the people are better. When there is a bad king, the people get worse and things get terrible. If the people are led by evil, this psalm says, and the history of scripture shows, then they become like what leads them. They are shaped by the power in that place. It's the opposite of verses 1 and 2 where we're made enduring by the one who endures, but it's the same principle. People become like what is powerful around you, whether that is good or whether that is evil. The psalm is saying what is around you is shaping you. You become like that thing. And it's very countercultural for us in the West to say you are not exclusively a product of your own thinking, your own independent choices, your own will. It's very countercultural to say that. But we are more shaped by the powers around us than we might care to recognize. We like to think we are completely independent, but the reality is we are not. Just as one example, if we talk about individualism, we are drawn to individualism as a culture. It would be hard to escape individualism here in America, even if you come from a collectivist, a, a more uh, community-centered approach in another culture. But people tell you here to be an individual, to do what you want to do, don't worry about others, be you. Be the truest to yourself that you can be, but that is what everyone is saying, right? Everyone in America largely is bought into or wrestling with this notion of you do you. You be exactly who you want to be. But that's what everyone, the whole community is saying. How can you really be an individualist if all you're doing is following what everyone else says to do? Even in individualism, we are communal because everyone is doing it. Everyone is saying to do it. We have bought into it. If everyone told you not to be an individual, if you were suddenly transported into a more collective, a more, a more hierarchical, a more deferential culture, and everyone told you not to stand out, don't be different. Don't wear your hair a different color. Don't dress in a different way. Don't express yourself in a certain way. If there was a cost to individualism rather than a benefit to it, how many of us would still do things individually? I wonder. I wonder for myself. How many things would I do the way that I do them if there was a cost to doing them instead of a benefit? If there wasn't power supporting it but power against it? I think more often we do things when others make it comfortable or safe for us to do them. It is very rare that people step out of line to do something that others are not wanting to do. 
Or if we do that, if we step out contrary to the, to the power that's shaping the culture around us, it's likely because we have learned the strength to do that in the presence of a different power that's giving us the strength to step out in that way, that's shaped us differently. The psalmist is calling us to recognize what we don't often see in the West, is that the power around you shapes you. You make choices, you do things in relationship to, shaped by what is strong in that place. And I think we have to ask, related to that, what is the power that is shaping us? What's the power that is shaping me individually? What's influential in your life? Who do you listen to? What do you read? What do you watch? Who do you follow without giving it too much thought? Is it a news source? Is it a political point of view, a political party, a politician? Is it a religious point of view? Is it a certain website, a certain author that you trust instinctively no matter what? Is it a cultural point of view on what we do with with sexuality, with gender, with race, with money, with career, with family? that you always follow? What's the power that is shaping who you are right now? Is that power rooted in the enduring goodness of God? Or is it rooted in something that won't be here 100 years from now? How much do you know about the political crises of 100 years ago? How much do you know about things that were culturally important 150 years ago? Do we imagine that we are so vastly different that what we do and say now won't be looked at in 150 years from now and going, did that really even matter? Was it that big of a deal? Are we being shaped by things that are passing and transient or are we being shaped by things that are eternal? Are we even aware of what's shaping us? I'm probably not, if you're like me, maybe not either. But something is shaping us, and we probably don't like to think of that. We don't like power or control being outside of ourselves in the West. We don't. It's just, that's what it's like here. It's okay, but it's what's shaping us. It's that value. We don't like culture being outside. We don't like power being outside of ourselves in our culture. But power being outside of us, to get to our second point, is actually good news. It's actually good for us. So getting to that second point, why it's good news for God's people to be shaped by power that's outside of us, by God's power in particular, well, for a couple of reasons. First, because if God surrounds his people like the mountains surround Jerusalem, as Eugene Peterson says in that book that I referenced, quote, then we don't have to build our own power. Individualism in the West is all about building your own power, build your own brand, build your own reputation, build your own line of work, build whatever it is. You are the power, but there is an exhaustion to that just as much as there is a thrill to it. When we have God as the power who shapes us, then we don't have to be our own power any more than Jerusalem had to build mountains in order for that place to be a great place to build a city defensively in ancient times. All they had to do was take advantage of the power that was already there. They didn't have to build mountains. They could rest in a power that was already around them. There is a relief in that 
Could you imagine being in that ancient context where you come to this place where there is an opportunity to just have natural defenses and safety like that? You are excited. That is great. That is awesome. You want to be there. There is a safety, there is an ease that comes with finding a power that is outside yourself that all you have to do is rely on, that you don't have to work that hard for, that you can just receive. It means power for a good life, a life of peace, as verse 5 would close with, a life where good is not forgotten, verse 4, a life where evil is not overlooked, verse 5. That's what those things are looking at. That's what they're asking God to do, to remember the good, to not forget the wicked and the unjust and the evil, that a life of peace, a life that is good, the power for that does not depend on you. That is a restful thing in a culture where we say you can be anything you want to be, but then you find yourself neck deep in a career that you didn't want to be in, in a path that you're not really sure is working out the way you thought it would. And now it's on you because you chose that. I'm sorry, you chose that. That's what individualism gives us. It gives you you. At the end of the day, it's just you. There is no help coming. It's good news for us because power to have the life you want to have, to have good be remembered, to be having injustice dealt with, the power for that does not depend on you. You don't have to look to power in yourself. You can look to power that is just around you. You can rest a little bit. That is good news in a culture where so many of us are exhausted and anxious and angry that you can rest because there is a power around you that is shaping you for good, that has your best interests at heart. A second reason that this is good news is because in order for, for injustice, for evil or wickedness, that's what that word in the original language is getting at, in order for that to rest in the land, uh, to have ultimate power, that's what that would really mean to rest, because rest conveys in the Old Testament something, at least at times, like, like finality, like completion. God rested on the seventh day of creation. He didn't create anymore. He was just done. In order for evil to have a, an ultimate resting power, a final power in a place, means that God, the current power in that place, would have to step aside. That's what the psalmist is talking about here. It says, don't let there be this evil wickedness. Don't let that come and rule the land. He's asking, God, would you not step aside? In order for a new power to be dominant in a place, the old power has to be taken away. It has to be moved outside. The psalmist is saying, in order for evil to reign over God's people, to have the final power in your lives, then that would require God to step down. To be completely undone would require not you to be undone, but it would require God to be undone. How often do we feel like we are fragile and frail and anxious because we don't know if we are up to it? We don't know if we're going to be able to handle it. The psalmist is calling you to look outside yourself to the power that surrounds you. To not have to be just that power by yourself when you are facing difficult, sad, frustrating things, but to be able to lift your eyes up and look around you. Because for your life to be lost as a Christian, not, not that you never face hard or painful things, 
but that you would be lost to the futility of separation from God, disintegrating in all the ways that sin breaks us and others down. For you to be lost as a Christian, God would have to step aside from you. God would have to stop being God. God would have to stop keeping his promises. God would have to stop being gracious and patient and kind. God would have to stop being God, not you would have to start being God. Amen? How often are we trying to start being God to solve our problems? The psalmist is calling you to let God be God and to trust that he is not going to stop being God when things get difficult for you. God would have to step aside for you to ultimately be cut off from him. But verse 5 says he doesn't do that. It says he leads away those who would hurt and injure and destroy his people. Which means that evil may come for a time. Verse 5 is expecting that. It's not saying that the Christian life is a life free from any difficulty, any hardship, any interaction with injustice and pain and oppression. It expects that that will come, but it expects that in the end, God will lead that away. That it doesn't have final power. That it may come, but God will tell it to leave in the end. He endures, not that thing. He is abiding, it is not abiding. It feels crushing, it feels all-consuming, it is all around you, and God is the power that will tell it in the end to stop. This is such good news because the conviction of this psalm and scripture is that you don't have to be the shaping force of your own life. You don't have to be that vigilant, never ceasing, never making a mistake person who always takes care of things. There is room to be human. There's room to not know. There's room to not know what you should do next. There's room to make the wrong decision about what you should do next. There is room to be human because you don't have to be the power. You can be shaped by a power that is gracious and faithful and as enduring as the mountains. You were never meant to be that own power for yourself. That's what sin told us that we had to be in the garden. That's what it was all about with Eve. Questioning, is God really a power that is for you? Or do you need to go and be your own power? Is anyone else looking out for you? I don't think so. You better look out for you. That's where that idea came from. It didn't come from God. To walk the crooked path of sin, verse 5, is to live like you don't have another power and you have to be the power. That's how we turn away from what's good. For ourselves, for each other, that's when we hurt each other. When we become a power unto ourselves. When we play by our rules for our goals, which are informed by admittedly short foresight, painfully short hindsight, inability to even recognize what's going on in the present. That's when we turn away from God, when we don't think there is some other power out there that is going to shape things for us. This is when we snap at each other. This is when we are passive-aggressive towards each other. This is when we are impatient. This is when we are unkind, when we are not generous, when we think there is no other power out there that's going to shape these things in a different way. And we become that power unto ourselves, and we suffer and others suffer. We become shaped by that idea of power that it's on you. You're not surrounded by power and we live that way. We live like we're alone. 
But you were made to enjoy the power of God that surrounds you. That's what the Garden of Eden was, the power and the goodness, the flourishing of God surrounding you, being pressed out to the far corners of the world. You are meant to enjoy the power of God exercised on your behalf for your good and his glory forever. Not just when you're good. Forever. Always. It's about relationship with God. You were made to enjoy the peace of his power forever. And though sin has separated us from the powerful peace that we had in the beginning, his power endures and he is committed to being gracious to us. That brings us to our third point, the permanence of God's power that we see from verse 2. God's shaping power is understood by Scripture and particularly by the psalmist here to not just surround us, but to be permanent. When you are God's people, what you have shaping you is the God who surrounds his people, it says, now and forever, this day forth and forevermore. It means for eternity, for all time, without end. He's just there, fixed Like the mountains are still around Jerusalem, even though powers have come and gone, God is just there. The mountains are just there. They're a picture of God's enduring, permanent commitment to be a strength, a power around his people. But we feel the strain of this metaphor because the power and safety, even of just ancient Israel and Jerusalem, has changed did change over time. It came and went, even though the mountains are still there. God's people were conquered and exiled and carried off. And history didn't get better from there. It seems from the outside like God moved on or was overpowered. It kind of makes you start to think, is he not the God then who is permanent? Does he not keep standing up for you. Makes us ask, what would it mean for God to move on from his people? For God to just reject us, to not be for us? Does it look like disaster? If we walk back through the history of the people of God, the, the, the people of God were asking this question all along. You're not alone in asking that question. It's a recurring question as difficult things happen. They would have been asking in Egypt, is this it? Is this where the promises that God made to Abraham to make us and take care of us and to, to bless us, is this where they stop? Is it, is it in being enslaved, oppressed, and facing genocide? Is this the moment when God stops enduring? You would have thought so if you were looking at it. If you were an enslaved, oppressed people who had no power and no way out, you would have thought, this is when God has stopped being for me. But the answer, which was only slowly revealed, was no. Egypt and slavery was not the end. God's power endured. He was for them. He didn't move on. But was it in the moral decay of his people that happened not long after that? They're being shaped more by the powers that were around them where everyone did what was right in their own eyes until they abused and killed each other brutally. Was that the end of God being for his people? If you were living in the time of judges and the kings, you might have thought so. You might have thought, this is it. God is finally out. We are finally alone. 
but it turned out that the darkness of judges and kings was not the end of God speaking to, providing, and caring for his people. Was it later being attacked, occupied, and exiled under Assyria or Babylon? You would have thought so at first. You were being taken away from your home. People that you knew and loved were either killed or separated from you, and you didn't see them again. But the answer, despite that scepter of evil coming, was that it would not rest that God had not moved on, that his power still endured. And when we look at history for God's people, we see that what we would expect to mean that God is out, he has moved on, does not ultimately mean that God has moved on. Yes, evil comes in, but God leads it away in the end. Time and again in Scripture, whether that's evil outside or evil inside, God comes in, he is faithful, he is enduring, he shows up and he leads it out for his people. And this is no more true or true nowhere else except in this great way at the cross where it seemed that God coming to save his people, to lead us out from what was broken in us and around us in Jesus Christ was going to end at the cross. If you were a disciple of Jesus standing there, you thought this is the end. That's why they were hiding in locked doors after the crucifixion, because they thought this is the end. The God who came to save us is done. This isn't what we thought would happen, but this is what's happening. What looked like the end, though, was not, just as it hadn't been before, was not now the end. Instead, it was actually the fullest expression of what it means for God to surround his people forever, no matter the cost. Because he surrounded the evil that was in us, swallowing it with his whole life, bearing it on the cross for us in the entirety of all the sin, of all the evil for anyone who would ever just call on him. Jesus swallows that with his whole life surrounds that evil for us so that the power of sin would die with him at the cross because we who were sinners died with him there by faith. We were led away with him outside the city walls. We were the evil that was taken out and done away with. And in him, that was not the end. We have a new power. It was not just that sin was taken away, but that life was brought back in. He surrounds us. He he endures with us. His life is in us now by the Holy Spirit. The power of God doesn't just surround you anymore when you are a Christian. It is in you by the work of Jesus Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit. You are not just surrounded. You are indwelt by the Holy Spirit of God. The power of God that is enduring as the mountains now abides in you so that even if you face the grave, the power of God will not let that be final. It will bring you up from the grave. Because even in that moment when you think this is it, now is the time, this is when God has moved on, the power of the cross and the resurrection shows us he has not, he will not move on from you. When we think God is finished, he is not finished. 
cross shows us the permanence and the power of God's commitment to being good power in your life, to being shaping, healing, redeeming, renewing power in your life, even more so than the mountains. The cross stands eternal. The mountains will be swept away, but the cross remains established, enduring, and unmoved. This is the God that we have. This is the God that the psalmist points to, a God of permanence whose power shapes your whole life and shapes you from the inside out just by grace. Even when it seems like you think he's moved on. And so to come to a close here, I want to invite us to think about some things practically of how we might start to live like God is the power shaping us rather than other powers shaping us, rather than having to be just that power by ourselves with no one else to come in. I want to invite you to look to and to look away. I want to invite you this week to look to this power that the psalm says endures. He invites us to look at things that have been around a long time. This is, we just put baptism as a sign and seal on our sister and our brother. God gives us tangible signs and seals. He knows we are human. He knows we are tactile. We need things to recognize that he is with us and for us. The psalmist points to a tactile thing, to a mountain, something you can see, something that's not ethereal, ambiguous, that's hard to understand, something concrete as a picture of God's endurance. Many things may change. Many powers may come and go, but the mountains are still there. So when you are facing a power that's hard this week, whether that's something at work, at home, in your family, in your health. I want you to look up, just do this simply, look up a picture of mountains. Rocky Mountains, Tierra del Fuego, whatever you want to look up, right? Mount Everest, look up a mountain. We have an amazing ability to do this in our time and place. And remember that God endures like that mountain that he is still there, he is still big, he is still strong. The seasons come and go. God is still there. He is not stepping down. He will not step down. Like the mountains, he is still there. Put a picture on your phone. I'll be honest, right now I have a picture of a mountain as my lock screen on my phone. You can do that, right? It reminds you that God is there. Look to the power that endures and be reminded that God endures. When you're facing hard things this week, come back to just that simple thing and be reminded the mountain is still there, God is still there. And second, not just look to God's power that endures, but look away from your own power. Where do you need to see that power in your life depends on God and not on me? Where do I as an individual, not, not them, right? Not the person that I would like to elbow right now. Me, where do I need to see that power depends on God for me to have good things, for the injustices in my life to be faced, and not on me? Where do I need to rest that power depends on God and not on me in my finances right now? And the way things are going with my credit cards, the way things are going with my bank, with my mortgage, where do I need to depend on God and rest on him as power for my life that persists even when the dark thing comes? Where am I not resting in that? Usually the signs that we are not resting is that we are anxious or we are angry. Where am I anxious and angry right now? Where am I not resting in God's power to come on his timeline 
and take care of me? Where am I being tempted to look to my own power in an unhealthy, self-centered way? To save myself from experiences that I don't want to face, but maybe experiences that God might have for us, like the cross. Jesus did not want to suffer in that way. He chose that willingly for us, despising the shame of it, as Hebrews says, but it was not a joyful thing in the experience of it. We were the joy that he got out of that. It wasn't in the suffering itself. You're not going to enjoy the suffering, but God may use that to give you something that you wouldn't otherwise have. He may have something in mind for you that's unexpected, an unexpected way to surround you with his love and power that you can only see at the end of that thing. Where am I being tempted to use my power to make sure that I never experience loss or suffering? That's just not the Christian life. It is not the experience of God's people. It's the experience of God's people that he works through loss and suffering to bring things so much greater. Look away from yourself when we are tempted in those things. Ask God to be the power that is in us that turns us away from us from me being the power that shapes my world. Because that was the idea that started the whole mess in the first place. Ask God to be the power that shapes you because he abides with you forever by grace and he is not stepping aside. He has not moved on. Let's pray. I'd like to leave a little space for you to talk to God in your heart about the things that we've just been talking about. Maybe thanking him for being that that forever power with you, for you. Maybe confessing the ways that, that you've wanted to be your own power at the exclusion of him, to the harm of others. Maybe ask God to, to lead you in his power as what shapes you, to surround you in his love in a new way. Let's pray. God, we pray that you would hear these prayers as the one who endures, and by your grace that you would answer. In your name we pray, amen. I'm going to invite those who took children down to children's worship to go ahead and pick them up at this time through the door to my right. As we wait for them and their teachers to come back, we'll sing a song of response. So I invite you to stand as you're able, and let's sing about the God who is great, who endures, who is for us.